Welcome to The Rock's Podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the Gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. As a consequence in Acts chapter 11, and that's our starting point, uh, you know, you, you recall something beautiful happened and made everybody happy, but not everybody happy. There are some legalistic Christians who are upset with something that happened to bring Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, into the fold. And souls were saved and people were happy, but not everybody. Let's pray. Father God, there's a lot of conflict in this world. There's a lot of criticism, a lot of quick reactions that don't help the matter any. So we need wisdom from above and Lord, we know here in this incident in Acts chapter 11, you're trying to teach us something. You're repeating things over and over again for us to grow in wisdom and in knowledge, become mature in our faith. That when we have relational conflicts, Lord, that we could make things better, not make them worse. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so nobody likes to be criticized. That's what we're going to see happen here to our beloved uh, Apostle Peter. Uh, Though sometimes correction is necessary and good, right? When it's constructive and especially brought in the proper biblical loving way. I mean, we do dumb things on occasion and we're prone to speak and behave in unbecoming ways, unworthy of our Lord. And in those times, it's good to have those, quote, faithful wounds of a friend that come alongside gentleness and love and help us to learn and grow. But what about it when the correction is not correction at all? It's more in line with the English word to criticize and unfairly, uh, harsh words, short-sighted and without merit whatsoever. That stings. To be called on the carpet, condemned for doing something wrong, when in fact you haven't done anything wrong. In fact, you should be commended, not condemned. (laughs) (laughs) I have that written down there because in my mind that's what would rhyme, but it doesn't really work. As you noticed, uh, (laughs) it's just the worst. It's just the worst. No good deed going unpunished like that. Come on. So the Apostle Peter is going to know exactly how that feels here in Acts chapter 11. He's had an amazing personal spiritual breakthrough in Acts 10. As you recall, Peter and his Hebrew people, long-standing animosity toward the outsiders called Gentiles, and the word just means nations, right? It was the Jewish people on the earth who knew the Lord and nobody else at one time. So it was them, the Jews, and everybody else. The everybody else part were called Gentiles. It just means the outside world. And there was this dividing wall of hostility. They threw the baby out with the bathwater. The bathwater needs to go, pew, right? And God had told them, get rid of the bathwater. Avoid the bathwater because it will contaminate you. Foul dirty bath water, right? But what they were doing was getting mixed up with the bath water and the baby and hating the person, right? And not just the sin. And so there was this dividing wall that kept the Jews, the Jewish Christians, from effectively sharing the gospel across the barriers. 
And it kept the Gentiles from being able to receive because of their bad attitude about the Jews. And so that wall of division, of hostility, had to be smashed into smithereens. And the Lord knows how to kick down a door when that door needs to go down. And it does. Or how else will people get saved? You can't uh, hear the gospel from somebody who hates you. And you won't share the gospel with someone that you can't stand. And so that was the problem. And God had helped Peter uh, overcome that prejudice in his own heart, something that he should have been rewarded and commended uh, for. But uh, we'll see here, it didn't go exactly that way. You know, so (laughs) Peter shined through the whole incident last chapter. Uh, God gives him a vision and rebukes him. He swallows his pride. He faces his own ugly, lifelong bias and prejudice against people. He courageously and obediently goes against the prevailing attitudes of his time and his peers. And he does what God tells him to do in spite of his own natural inclinations to do otherwise. And as a result, a bunch of paisanos get saved, the Italians, you'll recall. So the Gentiles that he leads to the Lord happen to be of the Italian persuasion. Okay, I have friends from back east who are Italian who like to say Italian. And and so that's why I do that, (laughs) blame them. Uh, So this, this was big. The gospel of forgiveness of sins and the eternal life. Now uh, getting through the cultural boundaries, national borders, racial barriers, just as Jesus commanded them. He filled them with the Spirit. He said, now you have power. Here's what I want you to do. Take the message, smash through those boundaries, those walls of hostility. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the nations of the world. And so that's where we left off with that very thing happening. The angels are rejoicing, as Jesus told us, when sinners come to know him, that's what happens in heaven. The Jewish believers and the Italian believers are rejoicing arm arm in arm, laughing and praising God and sharing meals together. Yeah, everybody seems so happy in Caesarea. That's where it happened. Uh, News travels fast, and it got back to headquarters to Jerusalem with the Jewish Christian leaders there. And not everyone is smiling. Verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea, the whole region there, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. They got saved. They received and accepted the gospel. So when Peter went to headquarters, Jerusalem, very Jewish Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, the the, the ultra-Jewish Christians, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate together with them. That's the problem, is eating together with. The verb in the Greek is to eat, to enjoy together. Peter began to explain everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, Wild beasts, reptiles, birds of the air, lots of unkosher kinds of food in there. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, make a barbecue, man. It's time to eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered this kosher mouth. Gentlemen, that's what I said to him. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This, guys, this happened to me three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men, Gentiles, who had been sent to me from Caesarea, from Cornelius' house, stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation, Peter, about going with these Gentiles. And these six brothers here, Ah, remember them? He invited the six brothers to come along and they're in the meeting. 
There they are. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the house together. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and said, send to Joppa for Simon, it's called Peter. He's going to bring you the gospel. You guys are going to get saved. 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came upon them as he had come upon us at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, all over again, this time with Italians, Uh, verse 16. (laughs) Then I remembered what the Lord had said. This is super interesting. I'm going to try to not uh, tell you about it before we get there. (laughs) John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to think I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, God has even granted eternal life to the Gentiles. He even saves non-Jews. Wow, that's amazing. Now, the whole point of this repetition of a message is to see this incident in the light of having wisdom, and you can put that slide back up. Sorry, Spencer, the last slide. And that verse, so then, uh, when they heard this, they had no further objections. It was resolved peaceably, and they praised God. This could have gone in so many terrible uh, ways, so many um, destructive ways, dividing people, ending, ruining relationships, hindering the gospel. This could have been a big deal. But because of the wisdom and maturity that was given Peter and how he responds, and that's going to be our focus, how to respond in a sensitive issue, where there are sensitive issues on the line, and when maybe there's critical people involved, difficult situations, how to use wisdom and maturity to, to reach that kind of thing, to bring peaceable resolve and to have people praising God instead of splitting apart. And so thank you for that, Spencer. Uh, yeah, so everybody's happy <laughs> at the close of chapter 10, as I've been saying, except some, quote, lovers of Christ. And the reason I call them lovers of Christ is because 20 years ago, uh, somebody I know got a letter that just tore the guy mercilessly from limb to limb. So many unfair, rude things to say and signed it a lover of Christ. <laughs> so that's always been funny to me to, 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 to when that situation comes up, when, when there are Christians who are mean-spirited and very judgmental uh, to just say, yeah, lovers of Christ. And that's what's going on here. They are brothers uh, in the Lord, but uh, they've got some legalistic and uh, a little bit mean-spirited tendencies there. So there you go, Peter, your reward. You obeyed what God told you to do, contrary to community and societal expectations. You overcame your own pride and prejudice. You pushed past your own apprehension. But by God's grace, you did it, man. Good job. You obeyed God with courage and abandon. God has blessed your actions. Souls are saved. The gospel goes forward, and boom. What do you get? From Team Jesus, you get fingers pointing, tongues wagging, accusations flying, and your character is maligned. We call that friendly fire, (laughs) right? When in the world, it's accidental always, but uh, you get wounded and injured by somebody on your own side, you see? But in this case, you know, spiritually speaking, uh, this is what's going on here. Uh, friendly fire of the spiritual kind, and uh, adding insult to injury. That's what it is. That the fingers that are doing the pointing are connected to professed lovers of Christ. And so uh, this morning, like I said, really be thinking, I am going to go through this with a fine-tooth comb, looking for every insight and 
wise reaction from this apostle and see how I can better handle uh, my life. Yeah, because we live in a world that's rife with controversy and strong uh, opinions and convictions. And when somebody voices a contrary opinion, boom, judgment, right? Condemnation. And it's unjust. So how do you handle that? You make it better or do you make it worse? So let's begin with the unjust criticism, shall we? There it is, verses 1 through 3. I'll paraphrase. I like to do that. Word gets back to the other apostles and believers in the surrounding area that Gentiles are getting saved. Hearing the word and accepting Christ, verse 2, but when Peter gets home to Jerusalem, the hardcore Jewish um, patriotic Christians uh, criticized him, judged him, contended with him in the Greek. Uh, you went into the home of, of these uh, nasty Gentiles and you, you even enjoyed meals with them. So they, they skipped the part where people are coming to know Jesus and have escaped the judgment of hell and are going to live forever. They skipped that part, and they want to talk about that you actually went into the house to do that. And then after you did it, you wait with them. Now, that doesn't make any sense, but um, that's the way they were thinking. Judge and jury, the gavel comes down, guilty as charged, before there's even a hearing, right? And so it says the offense is taken and describes them as the circumcised believers. Well, they were all Jews, but there were some of those Jewish Christians that were really devoutly kind of loyal to Moses and just, saw, and that's why they're described that way. They have a hard time going from Old Testament to New Testament, from law to grace, to have to do this or you're not going to be saved, to whosoever believes in him. They're having a hard time. Let's call it uh, that. And so because circumcision was commanded by God in Genesis 17 to the first Jew, Abraham. And he said, if anyone's going to know me, this is the sign of the covenant. Now, what did he mean by that? He meant, if anyone's ever going to come to know me, they'll have to be born again. You cannot come to know me and be my special people and be my children the natural way. If you're born just physically, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh. There you go. Spirit, spirit comes into you. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So you'll have to be born again. Therefore, he put the sign appropriately where human production, reproduction happens. Now, in the New Testament, the correlating sign would be baptism, which is the same thing. You're dead. Try doing good deeds to please God when you're dead. You're dead. You have, something has to happen. There has to be an intervention. Dead people don't do good deeds. They can't get right with God. He has to reach down and grab you and make you born again and put his spirit in you. And you're born not the natural way, but the supernatural way. So that's the new significance of baptism and uh, brings us up to where we are now. So these, uh, <laughs> these are guys who uh, are they're, they're going to be a problem. Uh, they're called Judaizers to make Jewish. So they're going to later in the chapters, we're going to see them going out to places like Corinth and to Galatia, where all of these Gentiles are. There are hardly any Jews there at all, but they're all Christians. And they're going to go, these guys who are now behaving at the end of this incident, and they're going to go there and they say, unless you become Jewish, you can't be saved. And they're going and upsetting all those churches. So Paul has to write to the Galatians and the Corinthians and the Thessalonians to ignore them. Ignore them. So they're more of a problem. They do become, but at least this time, for a while, temporarily, uh, they're silent and they're praising God. But, you know, uh, old habits die hard. And so, but at least if we do it like Peter, if we have wisdom and Christian maturity and, and character qualities, which we're going to look at, then we have a chance of a peaceable resolve. 
But if you don't put it into practice, you have zero chance. And it's just going to exacerbate the problem and not. So the charges are, you already know, you've gone into the house with these nasty people and you even ate with them. And so maturity, godliness, wisdom, immensely uh, helpful here. So uh, note takers, when, you know, when relational conflict happens, you need wisdom and you need Christian maturity. Look, you gathered here today, you might as well know the reason God thinks it's a good idea and wants you to be here this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the church pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip, to build God's people, to do his work, and to build up the church. You're the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith the knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standards of Christ, the standard of Christ, to be like Him in every way. He's not going to stop. And the way He makes us mature is congregating and being taught His Word. He expects that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that you are going to react to a conflict in a mature, in a wise, in a loving, in a humble, in an empathetic way, as we see Peter this morning, and not make matters worse, and, 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 and act as if there is no God, and God's not giving you any kinds of instructions in his word to handle offenses and misunderstandings. And so uh, right away, because Peter is uh, wise, he has empathy He's aware, he's sensitive. To have empathy is to understand the person's point of view who's having the problem with you. To understand what is their problem. Why are they tripped up? He understands, now wait a second here. I've had the same kinds of feelings and just a few weeks ago, right? And they're laboring under the disadvantage of not having seen the vision, not having heard the voice, not being in the house with the presence of God so thick that everybody starts exploding in the gifts of the Spirit. They weren't at the baptism. They didn't hear the testimonies of everybody. So of course he has empathy not to take this as a personal attack, but that they're struggling with something that he struggled with. And that the, the name of the game here isn't defend myself. The bigger picture, because he has wisdom, is the kingdom of God. How is this? How is I'm going to respond here. How is that going to be in the best interest of unity of the men? They need to be moved from darkness to light. How do I best do that? Not how do I best come out looking good here and correct them when in fact you guys are the ones who have uh, misjudged me. You guys are the ones doing wrong and you're accusing me of something. He's not going to do that because... He's going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And just saying, before we dive into his explanation, uh, his detractors are not making this easy. Just saying. It's an uphill battle for him to respond godly by their immature, obnoxious, irritating way they approach. Right? They approach. They don't do it like this. And it would have made it so much easier. It doesn't give us excuses to respond badly. But they could have made it easier, couldn't they? If they said, hey, Pastor Peter, we love you, man. We've sat under your ministry for 10 years. And they had. Heard some awesome news. People got saved. Wow, praise God. But we also heard some rather unorthodox behavior on your part. What's going on, man? I mean, we know you. We know you would never do anything to dishonor God's word. So there must be an amazing explanation. We're all ears. What happened? Yeah, no, 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 no. No, none of that. No uh, three affirmative statements, nothing positive, uh, no warm-up, no private meeting. Hey, before we're before everybody in the big room, oh, we just want to pull you aside here so that you're not embarrassed when we condemn you in front of everybody. Yeah, no, none of that sensitivity. 
no asking for information, just straight up, right from the jump, condemnation. So, you, you know, I have written down here, wouldn't it be nice if when we're offended by a usually well-intentioned person, like a spouse, you married them because you love them, right? And usually they're well-intentioned. They're not psychotic that you're aware of. So nine times out of ten, they're well-intentioned. So why not approach them that way? Kinder, softer. Hey, you know, this isn't like you, and I appreciate A, B, and C, but I'm a little kind of ruffled about this thing. What did you mean by that? Or come on, I'm open. I want to hear. Because you're assuming the best instead of the worst. You, sinner. When? (laughs) You, whatever, right? (laughs) So he's kind of, yeah, okay. So so calmly, he's going to sidestep the personal drama for the good and glory of God. Because what's more important? See, if you have humility, it means low to make yourself smaller. So if there's less of you around, there's less of you to offend. And then you understand this isn't about me. As much as it hurts me and disappoints me and frustrates me and irritates me to no end, it's not about me, ultimately. It's about him and them and us and the church and the gospel. So he's able to sidestep all of that and entrust God who judges justly and knows the story. He'll vindicate me. He sidesteps it. And he says, let me calmly, precisely, just tell you what happened to me And then by the end of it, you might understand why I went in their house and why we enjoyed a meal with them. So 4 through 10, there with me paraphrasing, Peter starts by explaining. That's a very strong word there. Very strong there. He explains, he exposits, he unfolds it, but accurately. So he's not going to tell the story to make himself look good. He's not going to add something or subtract something. Uh, he's just going to tell it as, as honestly as he can. And it makes him look bad, which is part of the wisdom. It's not about you and your badness. It's about how my badness and how God brought me out of it. You see? So he starts explaining the story. Verse 5, I was praying down in Joppa, fell into a trance, had a vision, something like a big tarp comes down filled with all kinds of barnyard animals, clean and unclean. Um, Verse 6, inside all kinds of animals. 7, I heard a voice saying, prepare lunch, dinner's on the table, or should be. Verse 8, uh, my response was, no way, God. I've never eaten anything non-kosher. It's never touched my lips, these Jewish kosher lips. Verse 9, he, he said it for a second time. Guys, do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. I, I, I kind of figured that it was about people. You know, he's going to add that later. It, it, it happened three times, and then it was all taken back up to heaven. So note takers to the explanation now after the offense. The higher road, a calm, cool-headed, self-control. There it is again, underlined self-control. His emotions are in check. Therefore, he can keep a tight rein on his tongue and not say something he's going to regret and make worse. He just take a cleansing breath and he prayerfully kind of tells the story. Let, let me lay it out here for you and be. <laughs> and, he, and he knows he's going to preach to them by showing how God preached to him. You see, so much better. So I think what's not recorded sometimes in the scriptures is just as important as what is recorded. They voice their offense in an offensive way. (laughs) Uh, Peter, you're a lawbreaker. Our faithful leader, now fallen, morally compromised, way to go. And in the world, when someone slaps you like that, you slap him back only harder. You know, but he's not going to do that. He's not going to have a little hissy fit, get all up in arms, like I've been saying. Um, when they say, you've blown it big time, man, in front of everybody, embarrassed him. You've blown it big time, way to go. He doesn't say, no, I haven't. And they go, yes, you have. And they go, no, I haven't. Have not, have to. No, no. 
The Bible says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I grew up, I became a man and put childish, not childlike, childish ways aside. So when an immature child uh, is misunderstood, what do they do? They throw a big fit. How dare you malign my character? Where were you guys when I was walking on the water with Jesus? Just a question. Oh, did any did he nickname any of you The Rock? Uh, did he put any of you in charge of 12 guys? Who's the lead? Who did Jesus say? You're the lead. It's always, I, uh, do I need to tell you this? It's always Peter, James, and John. It's never John, James, and Peter. All right? <laughs> Just so you know. And you are treating me like some kind of thug. You don't even ask me a question. You don't do it with respect. You just haul me in here and say, you're a sinner. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that, does he? He's just going to explain the story. Calm-headed, cool, self-control. The Proverbs say, the better you keep your emotions in check, the better the outcome in every frustrating moment. But the proverb actually is, he who has self-control is mightier than a conqueror who takes a city. And he's got self-control. Now, thanks to the Holy Spirit and humility. <laughs> humility. <laughs> With humility comes riches, honor, and long life. He's got humility. He's the one who the Holy Spirit will write to say, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, and in due time he'll lift you up. That's from his first letter, chapter 5. So he, he, he's getting it, right? And so he doesn't slap back. He's not going to come down in their level here. He's going to rise above and pull them up to his level. You know. Yeah, one writer said, we would all be better off if we stopped making everything about ourselves, see the bigger picture, and handle our conflicts with what's best for others and the glory of God in mind. And so here's what I want you to see here. He starts out by saying, I was in Joppa praying. Oh, now he's got everybody's attention. Oh, so this didn't come when you were walking on the beach or you were on Facebook or you read a really good book and you're so inspired or you have a committee and you called the committee together or you took a poll no, no, no. As John Phillips put it, that was where the thing began. A man on his knees talking to his Lord. So now Peter's got their attention. Well, rather, the Holy Spirit has got their attention. Listen, it all started with prayer, you see. And so time for a little vulnerability. Now, here's another thing, note takers. Peter's going to be clever. He's going to be shrewd. You know when Jesus says, be wise as a serpent? The word is shrewd, savvy. Be, be smart the way you handle things. Outsmart the situation. Don't jump into the trap. The hook comes down, the worm's on the hook, going, come on, come on. You know you want to. You know, whatever. That was funny. <laughs> the hook with the worm saying, come on, take a bite, and then you get ouch, right? No. No, he knows not to do that because he's shrewd. He's going to get to them by showing how God had to get to him first and let God do the direct confrontation. Now, granted, sometimes face-to-face, head-to-head, uh, harsh confrontation is necessary. We see that in the Bible too. But when you can, when it's delicate and sensitive, come on. Take a deep breath and go the subtle, more clever route. Yeah, shrewd like a serpent, harmless as a dove, you know. So here's his bottom line that he's preaching. He's saying, I had this very bad attitude, which God himself had to deal with. He could have said, you guys, you know what? You guys have a very bad attitude, which God himself has to deal with. He's saying that. He knows he's saying that to them. But he's saying, look at me. I had the problem. And they all know they have the problem too. And if God had to deal with displeasure with Peter, 
he certainly has the same attitude toward them who have that attitude. And so, yeah, so this is just amazing. He's building a bridge. That's what you want to try to do with disgruntled people. You, you know, he's saying, this new understanding didn't come easy for me. I'm a nice Jewish boy, born and bred in Bethsaida. I have the same aversion to all of this as you just a few short weeks ago. But they see that, that God had to thump him three times. Oh, he was just like us. He thought just like us. God had to smack him down for that. Right? So Peter probably realizes that, you know, he could have done the same thing a few weeks earlier. Let's pick on James and John. Let's say James and John went <laughs> to Syria. And they're, they're going to try to win some Syrian guys. So they go to a sports bar, and they pull up, and they have some beers with these Gentile Syrians who are hostile to Israel. And they, start, they order meat that was dedicated to one of the Syrian goddesses. But then they share the gospel, and the Syrian boys get saved. And they come back and tell Peter the story. Hey, some Syrians got saved. Wow, what happened? We went into a bar, <clears throat> we had some beer, and we ate some of the meat that they were raving about that had been offered to their Syrian goddess, and then we shared the gospel. You don't think Peter would have had a problem with that? See, 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 here's the deal. Understand the person, where they're coming from. And then you won't take it so personally. Like, there but the grace of God go me and I, or whatever. <laughs> you see? Uh, counseling. A bad dad story, right? Not very feeling, not warm. Never I love you. There, but not there, right? The person, the son, was like, oh man, how to go to therapy? Like I got this cold and distant father. And the therapist says, what was his childhood like? What's his dad like? Oh, it was terrible, awful. He was abused. Father never talked to him, ignored him always falling short. You're not going to amount to anything in life. And so I just never touched him, never hugged him. One time he asked for a hug and he said, men don't hug. And the therapist said, does that help you understand how he's fathering you? In fact, he's fathering you a lot better than he was fathered. And maybe your dad <laughs> had a lot of pain and wasn't modeled correctly. Oh, so now maybe you can stop taking it as a personal offense and getting mad at him. Well, you can see him like, oh my word, what a victim. That's a poor guy. He's not doing this because he hates me. He's doing this because he was hated or he was victimized. And now it just gives you a little empathy, a little room, a little breathing room to stop making it all about me and my terrible dad. How about your terrible way you've treated and responded? You've written him off just as bad. Okay. I can move on now, right? Yeah, so empathy is pretty important. Underline that one. And speaking of James and John, uh, John Phillips asked the question, and by the way, where's Andrew? Where are the six guys who went with him? Where are their voices? Where's James and John saying, hey, hold on here. Who are you? What are you talking about? Peter, this is our Peter. You know he wouldn't do anything like that. What about Jesus? Jesus touched all kinds of Gentiles, and he told us to do it. Come on. Give him a break. John Phillips says, where are they? They might have said that. It's not recorded. Oh, no, no, no. The fire's too hot. And sometimes when God calls you into, to take a stand and, and out to uncharted waters... I mean, you're not going to have a friend there because they don't want to get burned. They don't want to get canceled. You're going to get canceled. You keep talking like that, the Jews are going to say, you Gentile lover, we're going to cancel you. And so your friends in the room are like, oh, I still hate Gentiles or whatever, or by your silence. Right? That's what's going on there. So don't miss this. You know, him just, here's what he's saying. Learn vicariously, gentlemen. And it's so much easier for me. I love learning through that. You see, Peter and those like Peter who hate sinners 
and disdain them and mock them. Incur God's chastisement and displeasure. They will not be blessed. They will be chastised until they get over that. Now, when I see that, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I do that all the time. After last week's sermon, I still do it. Because there are certain things I I hate. I hate when people beg and they're addicts and they take advantage of people and they don't work and they and they won't stop drinking and taking and and taking and hurting. I can't stand that. So every time I pass, I'm like, and then and the Lord is like, stop it. Hate the behavior. There's a soul in there, bro. There's a soul in there with potential that God loves, you see. So I, because I struggle, I want to learn vicariously. I don't want to have the paddle come down here. I'd rather it come down there. Right? Well, you know what I mean. I mean, let's finish up 11 through the end. So, yeah, we, uh, I'll just paraphrase. At that exact moment, three Gentiles of all things arrive at the door. The Holy Spirit makes it clear to me, show no reluctance to go with them. And these six brothers, do you remember when I said, when you're in a complicated mm, powder keg of sensitive issue, make sure you have accountability for your own sake. It could have gone sideways, and it did. But he's got six. He doesn't have two to three witnesses for testimony. He's got six. There's seven of us. So we, you see, how smart was that? How smart was that? We, right here, six of us, Benjamin, Joshua, Michael, Isaac, Zechariah, and Joseph, standing right here, who are quiet, by the way. We don't hear these six men. They, (laughs) love it, we entered the house. Oh, no, they didn't say, hey, boys, you know, guess what? There were seven of us. No, they let him handle it. Verse 13, he told us (laughs) that an angel appeared to him, that I'd bring a message and the whole house would get saved. As I began sharing, the Holy Spirit filled them like the day of Pentecost with us. Verse 16, then I remembered what the Lord had said in my own hearing. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is my takeaway. If God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord, who was I to think that I could stand in the way of God? Love that. So direct isn't always best here. The less combative, confronting, the better, I, I think, right here. And so, yeah, he says, God backed me into the corner. Look at my stubborn heart, but God cor- corrected me three times, you see. And so, yeah, these six guys with us, we all entered the house. And so ask them. They're, they're, they've seen it all. They were with me, right? And so you know what happened when they went into that house and shocked those Italians. The Italians were shocked. What are you doing in our house? And he says, listen, guys, I'm so humbled to have to say this, but I had the really bad attitude toward you. And God Almighty said, I love those folks. What are you treating them like that for? Stop it. So I came into your house. Do you know any chip on their shoulder? Any hard feelings? Any woundedness? What you know there was. Because they would stand, you know, the perimeter. We don't want to get cooties from you, you nasty people. That's what they're used to. When they're walking down the street, they avoided them like, like the plague. Yeah. Which opened their hearts to receive the gospel. Now they're like, oh man, brother, wow. Yes, I'm here in your room because God told me, stop it, Peter. You're being a bigot. Get over it. I love them. Share the gospel. So I'm here. And they said, speak, friend. Speak. People don't care how much you know if you don't care about them until they know how much you care, as the saying goes, right? You remember having a high school teacher with me if they paid attention to me and showed like interest in my life, 
you know, or warm, some kind of warm connection, learn my name. I did well in the class. I get an A. No problem. But what about Mr. Sandini? Okay. Uh, eight months in his classroom, he still calls me Russ, you know? <laughs> Every time I tell him, oh, with an O, oh, Ross. Yeah, okay, Russ. <laughs> Just there for the paycheck. Not interested, rude. The vibe of, I don't care about you. I got a D in there. I could have got an A. I just didn't like being in there. I cut up the class whenever I wanted to. It just didn't like, I didn't connect. Why do I need to listen to what you have to say when you, you write me off, right? And that's how people see it at the gym. You turn your nose up at them because they use cuss words or whatever. You avoid them or you treat them like you're superior to them. They're like, well, why, why should I listen to you? You don't show me that you care. And so we, six of us, went in and showed them, look, we care. We've gotten over our bad attitudes. Here we are. What's up? You know, we've got something good to tell you. You see, and then Pentecost happened. That was awesome. Let me just touch on this and we'll be done. When he says, and then I remember the scripture, and that's always good to show that your actions are, and behavior are in keeping and with this blessing with something Jesus said. And here's the mind-blowing thing. Jesus told us, guys, then I remember what Jesus said in my own hearing, that oh, John baptized in water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I looked around and I saw who the you is. The you is whosoever believes. See how he's connected that to the Italians, to the Gentiles, the you. The, the Jews were like, well, we were all Jewish standing around the pool there in Jericho, wherever it was baptized where John was baptizing. And when, and when Jesus said, but you will be, he's speaking to all Jews. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But then when I saw them, the Italian Gentiles, speaking in tongues, I remembered the scripture. You who believe will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And well, there, down goes the walls. You know, no more. It's about being an apostle, not an apostle. Being a male or a female or a rich, rich or poor or ordinary or famous or really, really messed up terribly with terrible sins, terrible problems and nothing but disgrace or a morally inclined religious sinner. Once you come to Christ, it's one faith, one Lord. One body, one baptism, and all are welcome, whosoever believes. And then the last saying is there, it quiets them. They have nothing to say, and they just praise God. Why? Because there was wisdom, there was self-control, there was empathy, there was humility, there was Christian maturity, there was a pause, there was thinking, there was intentionality so that this would become a peaceable resolve, not another nightmare. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you for help in these matters. It's easy to talk about even uh, this morning, but it's harder to live when we're in the moment and somebody says something really, really silly, stupid and foolish and insulting and irritating. We, we just lose it, God. We just, we, we forget everything. God, help us to remember and be mindful and prayerful about these things for a good resolve. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm, I'm going to close with a thought that's not related so much because I feel like the Lord wants to say something about something. I mentioned about having empathy because when I talked about diffusing a, a relational conflict by sympathizing or empathizing with the person who's causing the pain or caused the pain, it got anointed quiet in here. Now, you're, when I say it got quiet in here, it's weird because you're all quiet, right? But there's a moment that it gets quiet, quiet, like still. And it got that still because I feel like God wants to say something to you. The last thing you want to do is feel any sorrow or uh, sympathy for the person who just wrecked you. 
But that's the way. That's the way. That's the Christian way. That's the way you'll finally get over it and stop living in it. The way to go forward is to have some kind of compassion. And the way that you can find some compassion is look at their sorry state. What led them? What were, what were they thinking? What were they feeling? What, what went into it? How sad to be that lost and self-absorbed to be that kind of person. And, and how is it going to be for them in life knowing they wasted so much time and hurt so many people? That's terrible for anybody, even if you were the object of their hurt. So I implore you, why live in this a day longer than you have to? Go ahead and start softening up. Be, let the years of you being a Christian, oh my word, how long have you been a Christian and you're still living in it? You could be up here preaching for crying out loud and you're still living in it like it like like you have no prayer, no father, no blood of Jesus, no grace of God to keep going forward and let it go. That's the word. Father God, help us have empathy for those we have been in conflict with or are in conflict now or will be. Let us just think of people <laughs> the way you think with kindness and the benefit of the doubt and pity and prayer and a love that can overlook it as you've called us to telling us if we want to be forgiven we better be able to dish out some forgiveness and if we want to be shown mercy then we better be merciful which means <laughs> granting them what they don't deserve. God, help us. Help us, God. We want to change our hearts to want to do the right thing here. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 